Hey, praise God. It's a joy to be with you. And don't you love Pastor Paul and Sarah? Listen, you've got great pastors, and I'm not just saying that. You really do. And uh, take care of them. Just love on them. Make sure that you're behind them, cheering them on. Listen, I'm a pastor, and I know what it feels like when you have people doing that. And it's important. This is a spiritual thing that we're doing. And there's an enemy, and he doesn't want your church to prosper, to break through, to reach lives. And a lot of the time, he'll bring an attack against the church, but his eye is often on the leaders. But if he can upset, disrupt, then he'll do everything he can. But that's where the body of Christ comes and stands around them and says, no, you know what? We want to go where God's leading us, amen. So I want to encourage you. You know, they didn't ask me to say this, but I just really feel I need to. You guys are coming in to a great season. And um, God's got amazing things for you. But the enemy, he hasn't got any authority over you, but he's desperate to try and put blockages in the way. But when there's unity in the house, man, you can go like a steam train. And I can see this church going like a steam train. Remember those old westerns when they used to put things on the track and it used to just, boom, come through it and keep on rolling. I believe that's God's plan for for the church, amen. But I just encourage you, make sure you're praying for them each day. Make sure you're lifting them up and saying, Father, we stand with you know, the Davids that you've given us, and we thank you for them. Now, man, that's an important thing to do. So, hey, I hope some of you will take that challenge. <clears throat> Listen, I want to share with you something that's a bit of a journey on my heart. I haven't arrived at the conclusion, but I'm loving the journey that God's put me on. But when I was with you last time, remember I spoke about it's time to run. But, hey, lockdown thinking is over. It's time to run. <clears throat> we got a job to do. I've become even more um, heavy on my life that we are right now in a God moment where God is moving and doing something on the earth in a fresh and a new way. How do I know that? Because my spirit is excited and my enemy is annoyed. <laughs> my spirit is excited <clears throat> and my enemy is irritated. Now, I don't know if you get out much on social media and stuff like that, but if you look, there's been some incredible moves of the Spirit over in, in America in a place called Asbury, and it's all about this Gen Z, but God is just moving in a fresh way with young people and through young people. I'm so thankful that it says in the last days, when he pours out his Spirit, it'll be on all flesh, young and old. I'm glad that I'm not left out. But he seems to be doing something really fresh with this Gen Z, with young people, not just in one place in Kentucky, but in, in the ramp over in Alabama, in different pockets. And then I suddenly look, and in the Philippines, he, he's moving, and there's like 6,000 people going to the seafront and getting baptized. Then in Venezuela, there's, there's a move. God is on the move, and we need to be sensitive to this moment that God has chosen this moment to do something. Man hasn't chosen this moment. God has chosen this moment to do something on the earth. I want to be involved, don't you? <clears throat> I want to be in it. I want to, I want to be a part of it. The way that we term this, I think C.S. Lewis put it the best way above all when he said, Aslan is on the move. 
Aslan is on the move. The, the snow queen's terrified. <laughs> the snow is melting. Aslan is on the move. Aslan. God is on the move. <clears throat> you see, God is a God of moments. He designs moments. Not like us. We're haphazard. We just go from moment to moment to moment. Uh, let's see what happens. God's not like that. God designs moments and he's designed a moment that we're in now before any of us were born. There's something about this moment. There's something about lockdown, COVID, all the things that we've been through that have led us to a moment that's actually a moment where it feels like God is saying everyone else has shown their hand. I'm putting my cards on the table now. And there's going to be a move of his spirit. There is a move of his spirit that's beyond what we've seen before. But we need to get our hearts ready. See, when we look at time, there's two words in the Greek that we use for time or moments. One is chronos. And chronos means logical, sequential time. This is how we all manage life. We have watches, we have calendars, and we say on June the 15th in the, in the year 2022. The way that we manage this thing called life is very much with chronos. Now, God doesn't live in Kronos. He lives in something that isn't our logical or sequential approach to time. He has something called Kairos. And Kairos are God moments. God moments, where suddenly you wake up. Yeah, Kairos, God moment, where suddenly you go, oh my, maybe, like Esther, we were born and positioned when we were unaware for a moment that God had that was always in his calendar, a moment, a time such as this. You see, Esther was unaware of the storyline of her life until Mordecai said to her, you're in a moment. You're in a God moment. <clears throat> you see, God makes moments when we're unaware. And all of a sudden he says, now. The best way I can describe this is some of the older people like me will remember this. The man from Del Monte, <laughs> he say, yes. Now, if you're younger, you think, who is the man from Del Monte? <clears throat> it was a very, very famous Elmo, uh, advert for Del Monte fruit and corn. And you'd have this old man sitting on the porch and he would be tasting the corn, looking at the corn, looking at the crop, tasting the pineapple. And there'd be a little boy down looking at the porch, waiting for him to nod. And the moment that he nodded, this little kid would run through the town, run through the village. The man from Del Monte, he say, yeah. At that moment, the barn doors opened. The combine harvesters came out. Everybody grabbed a she you know, one of those sheaves and began to bring in the crop. The man from heaven, <laughs> he say, yeah. There's a moment that's here right now. We can't miss this moment. You like that, Ben, didn't you, eh? Love that. It's a God moment. You see, when God spoke to Noah that it was going to rain, he was speaking of a moment 100 years later. Now, theologians will argue, some will say 50 to 75, 75 to 100, 100. Just keep arguing in the corner, theologians. Let's just agree, it was a long time. Let's just pick on 100. But when God spoke to Noah, it's going to rain. He was speaking of a moment a hundred years later. You see, we're in a moment that God had in his heart long before we were born. Nothing takes God by surprise. Now we're in a moment and I'm trying to discover in my own heart, <clears throat> I'm going to close my notes otherwise we'll be here all day. We're in a moment that I call Bethel moments where God 
is breathing in a fresh way and he's adding an ingredient that changes everything. Not just changes everything for the church, but every person in this room, including me. Because sometimes you can have a great recipe, but if the main key ingredient is missing, something doesn't happen. And I look at the church today, the church I lead, the churches that I walk with, and it all looks brilliant. There's so many good ingredients in the bowl. But when I look at what we could be or should be according to what God is saying, I'm left with the conclusion, something is missing. Something is missing. And it's not something that man can add to the mix. Because <clears throat> man's added every, added every other man-made ingredient. It's something that only God can add to the mix. And when he does, it changes everything. Now, I've done a little bit of uh, baking of bread. Any other people done that? <clears throat> Any other men done that? Like, that's half of somebody. Come on. It's something primal in us that you've got to one time in your life make bread. You know, the old ingredients, the old way. You need that bread. But I know that I could put flour in the bowl and flour's brilliant. This is a picture of the church in some ways. I could put oil in, that's important. I could put salt in, that's important. I could put sugar in, that's important. I could put fluid in, that's important. All good ingredients. None of them are wrong. But there's one... <laughs> There's one ingredient, but when you add it, it changes everything. Anybody know what that ingredient is? The yeast. There's something supernatural about the yeast. But the other ingredients are brilliant. But when you add the yeast, everything changes and goes to another level. Something becomes unnormal. A reaction begins to occur. Like we're in, I know, a time of where everybody's speaking of identification. So the other ingredients identify with the yeast. And all of a sudden, when it's stirred in, there's a rise, a release of life, a changing of shape, a coming in to something that wasn't before. Then you put a tea towel over it, put it in the air and cupboard. <laughs> and then you come and you pull up and it's grown, it's swelled. A strange reaction is happening that's making something that was dead ingredients in some ways suddenly alive. I believe we are in a moment, a God moment, a Kairos moment, not a Kronos moment, a Kairos moment where the Holy Spirit is breathing and moving across the church and he's adding this ingredient. He's adding this ingredient that changes everything, not just to the church, but to every believer's experience of God. Would you like to know what the ingredient is? Oh man, some of you are going to be disappointed. It's so simple. Some are like, I want my money back. You didn't pay anything, so don't go there. This ingredient <coughs> changes everything. I'm going to say it in a British accent because it sounds better. The actuality of God. The moment God moves from being a concept, an ideology, a theology, hearsay, hand me down from parents to suddenly becoming so real so real that you suddenly realize he's real he's really here he's really here and he's really here but it's not 
theology or concept that God now lives in you. It's real. And the moment it moves from concept, hearsay, ideology, theology, philosophy, to a moment where something so deep inside of you suddenly says, God is real. You're in a moment of divine encounter where everything will change and the ingredients of your Christianity will begin to become something you never dreamed they would be. Now, we're all good at saying we know stuff, right? Especially Pentecostal Christians like you and me. Oh, I know this, I know that, I know this, I know that. Oh, yeah, I know about speaking in tongues. Do you do it? Because we can know, but it can be head knowledge. It can be concept. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit does what he does. And we go, wait a moment. I'm praying in a language I never learned. The one who's living in me is speaking through me, speaking mysteries to God. I'm praying a language that empowers me so no weapon fashioned against me can prosper. Then you won't take a minute in the morning to go and move on. See, the Holy Spirit, he brings things from concept to actuality, realism, from potentiality to now. What's a picture of this? Jacob's encounter with God at Bethel. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn them to Genesis 28. I've kind of been really, really um, stuck with Jacob these last few months and his journey. And this moment at Bethel is amazing. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. I'm going to pick up in a few moments on verse 16. But you know the storyline of Jacob, right? Jacob was the son of, not a trick question, Isaac, yeah. He had a very, very famous granddad. His granddad was Abraham was famous for a lot of things, especially faith, but also tithing. Yet Jacob didn't tithe. Why? Because tithing was the revelation of his grandfather. It had not yet become his actuality of belief. You say he did tithe. No, read the bottom of chapter 28. It says, and after this encounter with God, he decided he was going to give a tenth of everything that he got to the Lord. But wait a moment, your granddad wrote the book on it. Your dad did it. But when it's hearsay of parents, when it's hearsay of parents, that's not wrong. But it's different to when it becomes ownership of the child. I'm so thankful for godly parents. I'm so thankful for men and women that God put in my life who modelled things for me. But I know I needed a moment of encounter. And the Holy Spirit provides moments of encounter 
where things I said I believe suddenly become things I believe. Does that make sense? In 1 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way, like a little riddle. Let the man who says he knows, let him know he doesn't know as he ought. Do, 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 do. That's a powerful statement. Because Paul is saying, we can know something in our heads, but that's different from the Holy Spirit making it a revelation in your heart. And it's the revelations in your heart that will determine the outworking of your life. You will live true to what you believe, not what you say you believe. Okay, everything changes when the Holy Spirit provides moments called Bethel, moments of actuality. All right, what does this look like in church? This is what it looks like to me. We have the best worship, we have the best songs. I mean, that worship today was phenomenal. Thank you so much. Really connected me to God. We have great worship. We have great worship leaders. We have great music. And obviously, I'm not speaking about this church. I'm speaking about one down the road. But you can look out, ask any worship leader in the church on Sunday morning at Christian's, some who wouldn't even be bothered to get here for the worship. And you can look out and see some people lost in the presence of God and others looking at their watch come on get on with it when we're going to get the message we have a problem the problem isn't our music our musicians it's that some people believe in worship but they don't believe in worship they don't believe that when we gather together Jesus Christ is here in power, as well as here, here in power, he's in the room and we come together. When that bomb drops, suddenly you need security to stop people worshipping. You've got to stop now. We've got to move on to the word. I will not stop. Jesus is here. Actuality can change everything experientially. Now, sometimes, I haven't done this, but I really want to, it's kind of cheeky. I'd love to get the guy from Chosen because he just kind of really looks like Jesus, doesn't he? You know, whenever you pray now, who sees the guy from Chosen? I mean, it's scary. <coughs> Other people, when we say Jesus, you see Robert Powell from Jesus of Nazareth. And that's great if you like your Jesus with blue eyes. That's fantastic. A little joke there. But imagine if during the worship, I didn't even tell the worship team. And I got somebody to dress up like Jesus. I mean, he's got the hair, the robe, everything you visualize him to be. Imagine, imagine. The worship team don't even know. Then during that moment, oh, 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 you open your eyes and he's walking on the stage. <laughs> and the worship team, like, what? They'd be on their faces looking at the pastor. And suddenly he's looking at you going, I want to put to you, members of the jury, you would very quickly move from this to this. You would never be late for a moment of worship ever again. And it wouldn't be a guilt trip. It would be a desire. I cannot not be where we're worshipping. You know, I've taught a lot of people the Great Commission and said to people, 
Hey, who doesn't want their friends and family to go to hell? And people say, amen. That's knowing. But then they leave and never share Christ with their friends and family. Is there an absence in the understanding of the actuality of heaven and hell? Or have we made it a fantasy belief that fits into a theology of end times? Hell is real. Sometimes I have Christians saying to me, hey, I'd love to hire a minibus and go to heaven for five minutes. I kind of shatter their dreams and I say, I wish you'd go to hell for five minutes. Not stay there, I'm not mean. Because I think one glimpse of where people are going to go if they don't know Christ would deliver us from every excuse, every embarrassment, every fear of sharing Jesus, especially with those that we love. See, what's missing from all of these things is just simply an ingredient called actuality. When you say, come on church, let's do this initiative. We're going to give out Easter eggs. We're going to change our community. You get a smaller minority of people say, I'm in pastor. Tell me what you want me to do. I don't care what you want me to do. But sadly, often in other churches, not this one, of course, but in other churches, you get a larger majority that don't even have the intention of coming alongside their church and serving to reach the community. We have a problem. What's missing is we say we believe things, but we don't actually believe. But then the Holy Spirit moves and brings us from concept to a moment where suddenly tithing isn't an issue. No longer does somebody have to convince you to give 10%. You want to give everything you can because God just became real. And you realize everything you have, he gave you. Every breath you have, he gave you. And again, we're not in the court of obligation, rather actuality. Does that make sense? Um, so let's read about Jacob. Jacob's an interesting guy. And Jacob is the guy who's called a serper, con man. He's the man that conned his brother out of his birthright with a bowl of stew. We know Jacob, right? He, he was a bit of a, bit of a grafter. Um, he was the guy that um, let his mum convince him to put like a dead cat skin on his arm to, uh, to con his brother Esau again. I mean, this is Jacob. This is Jacob in all of his glory. Really not a man who could be trusted. Really not a man that deserved anything. Yet suddenly he's on his way somewhere and he steps into a Kairos moment, a God moment. He never made the appointment with God. God made the appointment with him. He was unaware of the appointment. He was on his way somewhere not knowing what he was stepping into. And he found himself in an everyday piece of, piece of ground that was dusty desert. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to rest here. And he gets a boulder and he puts it under his head. I like a firm pillow, but I like a little bit of bouncy. Anybody else? I mean, a rock, really. But he must have been tired. And he goes to sleep, and all of a sudden in his sleep, God cuts through his consciousness and begins to speak to him. I get that. Sometimes, you know, I dream a lot. I have a lot of God dreams. And sometimes I really believe, like Jacob, God says, oh, great, Andy's out of the way now. Let's talk to Andy. Andy's head, Andy's flesh, Andy's mind. Let's just, we can talk directly to the control panel of Andy when he's asleep. And this is what happened to Jacob. He's asleep, yet he's on the earth. He's in a place that just looked like an everyday place. Suddenly, he has an awakening by the Holy Spirit. He has an awakening, and he starts to see things that are real, though he hadn't seen them. Suddenly, he sees in this place that he is, he's actually in the presence of God, and there's a ladder called Jacob's Ladder. At the bottom, he's laying, and at the top, there is God. And God is looking down, and he's speaking, the blessings of my father are yours. The blessings of Abraham are yours. 
the blessings of Isaac are yours. And ministry is going up and down this ladder. We've all read about Jacob's ladder. And he starts to say, as I was with your father, as I was with your grandfather. And suddenly he awakes from this dream. And that's where we pick up verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was unaware of the actuality of the one who was always present in this place. He was suddenly afraid, that's reverence, not terror, and said, how awesome is this place? It's none other than the household of God. Stay with me. God never turned up. He was always there. But suddenly Jacob became aware of the one who was always there. Suddenly his eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit to what was really present in this moment, in his life and in this place. Now we know he's had an impact because read down and it says, and then he said, I'm going to give you a tenth of every." But wait a moment, your granddad, your, your dad, it wasn't his. It was borrowed truth. It was inspired truth. But in this moment, everything changes. And then you know, a little bit while, he has a moment where he wrestles God. Isn't that powerful? And God's going, let go of me. He's going, I ain't going to let go, no, not until you bless me. Because in this moment, his mind was changed. And a few moments later, God touched him and he could never walk the same again. This is encounters with God, people. We are in a God moment where God wants us to have encounters. God wants to come to you in the church and outside the church. He wants to come to you in your sleep. He wants to come to you in your everyday work. He's not just doing it to Christians, he's doing it to non-Christians. I see a Holy Spirit revival moment where a lady's standing in, in, in a shop like Tesco's or Waitrose and for no reason she just falls to her knees and she's a single mum, abandoned by her husband. But for no reason, she falls to her knees and says, God is real! And he's really here. Because God's not limited to the church. He's the God of Tesco's. He's the God of Sainsbury's. God's in the harvest field saying to you and me, come and join me. I'm busy out here. There's work. To... But until the actuality of God penetrates the religious, theological thought we have of who he is and where he is, nothing will change. But when the Holy Spirit begins to blow and you hear that sound, he's real. He is real and he is really here. Why is this important? Well, it's kind of great, isn't it? But if we believe he's actually here, we believe the healer's here. If we believe he's actually here, then we believe the healer's here and the sick can be healed. The captives can be set free. If we're straining to drag him here, there's going to be a lot of works and effort but maybe we're in a moment like Jacob where the Spirit of God is breathing. And I hear it popping all over the place. Different people saying, it feels like I've just been born again. It feels like God has just become so very real to me. 
I can't do things that I was doing. I can't walk like I was walking. Because Christianity without encounter is often hypocrisy where we live one way in the view of people and a different way when no one's looking. All of that changes. Because suddenly you realize he is looking out of your eyes. All right, let's begin to think about this just at a slightly different level. I'm not going to go too deep today. For Jacob, it was a physical place. Old Testament. God, buildings, temples, tabernacles, physical places where people experienced him. Suddenly that place that was boring every day, nothing good about it, so he thought. After an awakening, became a place that was awesome. Okay, New Testament theology, God no longer lives in buildings and places, he lives in us. What if the Holy Spirit is blowing in a fresh way right now across the landscape of his church? Not the building, not the place, but the people. And he's causing an awakening to the presence of God that's always been in you from the moment you received him. Suddenly, you know he is there. Everything changes. The ingredients become bread. Freedom breaks out. Because a lot of the problems, if you're struggling with self-esteem, self-value, you don't think you're worth anything, you don't think you should be here, is because you've not realized this place is awesome. Because God now lives here you may have been a wasteland a barren place a desert but when God moved in the desert became awesome but it won't become your experience until you begin to believe so that this shifts from theological belief to experience God is in you the revelation of the New Testament is our lives are now seated in him. His life is now positioned and revealed in us. Do you not know as you ought? You are the temple, the dwelling place of the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. This is what Paul said to the Corinthian church because their behavior, independent of what they said they believed, was the evidence of somebody that didn't believe God lived in them. He said, do you not know? You were bought with a price. <laughs> You're not your own. Christ has come to live in you. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that turns any wasteland into an awesome place. We've got young kiddies today, Christian kiddies that are cutting themselves to get rid of, breaks my heart, walking around not thinking their lives are worth anything. Maybe they don't just need therapy and counseling. Maybe they need to have a Bethel moment. 
where they realize their lives may be young, they may be small, but God lives in small people and buildings as well as big ones and old ones. But the same spirit that lives in an adult is the same spirit that lives in a teenager. In fact, a lot of the teenagers in the Bible were the ones who changed the world. And for some reason, God is moving through Gen Z right now. He's bypassing religious revival experts that think they know everything. No, they know one expression of a move of God. They've not seen what God is doing next. That's like watching a singular Avenger movie, Thor, Iron Man, and thinking you know everything about Avengers. No, there's a moment when they all arrive. <laughs> We're in a moment where any move of God that you've seen is just a part in a bigger sum total of God saying, this is the last days. I am pouring out my spirit, not upon buildings, but upon men and women, upon young and upon old. And it's not going to be a fall down at the front, tingle for a moment, anointing. I am going to awaken the people of God to the presence of God when we gather, but also the resident presence of God in every Every one of their lives when they wake up on Monday morning. <laughs> He's here. He's here. That's good news, isn't it? You want some better news? He's here. Because if he's here, how does that affect tomorrow morning? Wonderful Sunday. But if he's here and I encounter him here, I don't want to leave the building. But he's here. But he's also here. Christ in you. The hope of glory. We welcome your presence, Lord. See, this is the ingredient the Holy Spirit can add, Ben. It's what he's always done. You see, nothing was changing a man called Saul. The Lord was showing me this last night. Nothing could turn the man called Saul, who was a religious lunatic, apart from an encounter where suddenly he moved from religious belief to encountering Jesus for himself. <laughs> the moment that Peter had when he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, moved him from a moment that he'd heard Jesus teach it, but he didn't yet believe it. And then the spirit moved. Maybe you're like, well, the disciples didn't have any problems. Thomas did. Come on, give yourself a break today. We've not physically walked with Jesus, though he's inhabited our lives. Thomas did. We haven't got time, but John 20, read all about it. Jesus had been with Thomas as well as the others for around three years. And Thomas had been in all the seminars. They're going to take me. They're going to nail me to a cross they're going to bury me. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. He'd been in all the seminars. He'd heard the message. It wasn't a secret. But then there comes this moment when he'd been killed, been buried. And then some of the disciples see him. And they come running into the room. Thomas, he did it. He rose from the dead just like he said he would. Thomas, we've seen the risen Christ. Death couldn't hold him. 
His resurrection has become the invoice and receipt that the full payment of the blood was accepted by the Father. Because he's risen, we know we will rise too. Thomas, this is awesome. Thomas, remember when we walked with him. He told us he was going to do it. You'd expect Thomas to spin around in a Pentecostal fit. Thomas says, I doubt it. I doubt it. Unless I put my fingers in his hand. That's gross. Unless I put my hand in his side. Unless I have a physical encounter and moment, I cannot move from things being real that I don't see to them being real. I love it. And it says, in a few days later, (laughs) Jesus walked in the room. Didn't use the door, walked in the room. He was no longer in the limitation of his physical frame. And it says that he spoke to them, peace be with you. That wasn't just like, yo man, peace. He was like, stop trembling because you just saw someone walk through the door. And then he goes straight up to Thomas, loves Thomas. I believe one day when we all get to heaven, we'll be standing there and maybe the Lord Jesus will go, all right, everybody stop calling him Doubting Thomas now. Enough's enough. It's been 2,000 years. Leave a guy alone now, all right? He made a mistake. No, stop it now. Stop it, kids. Doubting Thomas. No. But you see, in this moment, it all changed because of the actuality of God. And he goes up to Thomas and he says, Thomas, I heard what you said. That's what it takes. Go ahead. He must have looked at the guys in the room and thought, you squealed on me. You want them, Thomas, I heard you. Go on, Thomas. That's what it, Jesus wasn't saying, go on. Go on. If, that, if that's what it will take for you to see that I am the saviour of the world, but nothing can stop me, not even death. Go ahead. And then it says that Thomas responded, my God, my Lord. Now, I don't think that was kind of British. I don't think he was like Hugh Grant, you know, in a movie, like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I think he fell to his face and said, My God, my God, you are who you say you are. You did what you said you would do. You've conquered death. You've paid for sin. You've freed us from the law. Everything that you said you would do, your resurrection proves that it's true. I believe. And Thomas got up and started to change a part of the world that needed changing. Holy Spirit, you see, in the book of Genesis, the Father speaks. Things are in existence, yet they're not yet actual. The Father speaks, let there be light. There's no light. If you were there, you'd say there's no light. There was light, but it wasn't actual. Holy Spirit takes hold of the word and suddenly takes concept and light breaks forth. What if today that same Holy Spirit takes things that we say we believe because we were taught by our parents. We were taught by our pastors. The things are true, yet they've not dropped 13 inches from head knowledge to a knowing, a knowing that suddenly we can't live like we want. This is a Kairos moment. This is a Kairos moment. I see people leaving church and I'm like, no, not now, not now. You've been on the bus for 40 years. 
We're about to arrive. Don't get off now. I see other people getting saved and I'm like, you got on the bus at the right moment. You don't know how boring some of this was over the last few years. You just got on the bus at the right moment. Other people are fast asleep in church. Now, to me, I hate it. I don't have FOMO, fear of missing out. I have FUMO. It's a whole different level. It's the fear of others missing out. I'm a nightmare to watch a film with. Ask my wife. She always drops asleep after the last, at the last 10 minutes. The last 10 minutes and that avatar, we're all asleep because that's just a long film. But I always spend the last 10 minutes of a movie going, keeping Gina awake. Gina, no, stay awake, darling. Darling, we've done this whole movie together. Darling, don't go to sleep now. Don't, don't. People are pointing at their wives right now. People, people are throwing their wives under the train wholesale in this room. Maybe because they were up working when you were asleep. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. But I spend so much time going, Gina, no, don't miss this bit of a movie. Don't miss this bit. Don't miss this. This is the bit we've just sat through two hours. No, please. And she's like, she's like a ragdoll. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Stay awake. Stay awake. That's how I feel with some Christians right now. You don't want to be asleep. This is Kairos. This isn't Kronos. This is a moment that God designed before we were born. Oh, Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you've never given your life correctly to Jesus, you made him Savior maybe, but you never made him Lord. And today you say, I need to make sure that my life belongs to him. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to pray for you and I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. You know, I used to say just, hey, wiggle your finger at me, I'll see it. But the trouble is, finger wigglers don't really live full on for God when they finish wiggling their finger. You've got to make a stand. You've got to make a stand. You've got to say to pride, shut up. You've got to, got to look at the people around you and say, you can't stop me. This is about me and Jesus. This is about me and eternity. If you're here today and you've never fully or correctly given your life to Jesus and welcomed him into your life to be Lord of all, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet bold, unashamed. He hung on a cross for you. The Salvation Army used to make people come and kneel on a mat. I used to think that that was a little bit overboard. Now I say, no, I get what you were doing. Because when people came and knelt on that mat, they lived differently. That moment changed everything. Now you may all be saved, I don't know. You may be all born again, I don't know. But if there's someone here today and you say, I need Jesus, I need to take a stand for Jesus in front of every angel, demon and person that's with me. I'm going to count to three. If you're backslidden, I'll get you to stand up as well. If you know you're not where you should be with God, but you want to say, God, become actual to me, I'm going to ask you to stand boldly to your feet. One, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm I'm not judging anyone. God bless you takes courage to do this. God bless you. I know this is more than lifting your hand, but believe me, you will feel the difference. Anybody you say, no more playing games. But over this side, everybody good? What do you need to say? I'll take in my stand. 
I'm going to live for God. World behind me, cross before me. God bless you. Cross before me, world behind me. It's about two more people. I'm not going to make you because that's not right. I'm going to count it down from five and then I'm just going to pray Holy Ghost hits every person that's standing in a way that's fresh. One. Two. Three. Four. Anybody else? Last minute, Charlie. Lastminute.com. Will you drive home wishing you had? Come on, do it. Do it. You've got to be in it to win it. Five. Father, thank you for these people. Just everyone pray after me now. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. To give me a new life, forgiveness of sin, freedom from the law, and to be filled by your spirit. Jesus, I call you Savior. Fill me now with your Holy Ghost. Father, I pray over every person standing now, everything changes. I pray for awakenings. I pray for Holy Spirit awakenings. Just like Paul on the road to Damascus, suddenly we see him. We see him. We move from hearing about him. Some of you have been having encounters already, right? Because it's that time. Father, I speak blessing on these in Jesus' name. You can be seated. Now I'm going to ask, time's gone, I know that, but this is better than roast dinner, right? This is all right, isn't it? This is better than coffee on the way home. This is important. God provided a moment of Bethel for Jacob. He's providing moments of Bethel for us now. But he's giving us a choice. Do you want me to add actuality? It's not what happens in the next 60 seconds. It's what starts now. He'll come to you in your dreams. He'll speak to you from his word stronger than ever before. You'll understand things you didn't understand. Holy Spirit will begin to teach you all things. If you want that, stand to your feet, lift your hands right now. If you want that, just stand to your hand. You don't have to, don't have to stay seated if you want. If you say, I like my Christianity as it is, thank you, brother. You stay seated. It's good. I'm just making a way for anyone that says, if there's more, I want it. If there's more, I want it. If there's more, I want it. You know, I'm, I'm such a little piggy. If something's going, I want it. I don't know about you. If I'm in a restaurant, I'm like, I want that too. I want that too. I want that. Is that fish? I want that. I want that. We've got to be like that in the kingdom because the Father satisfies the heart of a hungry man. He satisfies the hungry with good things. All right, lift your hands like a champagne glass and we're going to let the Holy Ghost do what he does right now. Father, I pray right now that you would cause awakenings, you would cause actuality, you would add the ingredient of yeast and make all the things we believe suddenly things we believe. But suddenly the healer would be felt in the room, the one who liberates would liberate, the one who saves would save. That your presence here would become so real, but your presence in us would become even more real. But our lives can never be the same again. Father, I pray for every man, woman and child with hand lifted to you today. In the name 
of Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In a fresh way, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In an awakening way, young and old, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Begin to feel God moving on the inside of you. As a pregnant lady would feel the movement of an eight-month-old baby. May you know the movement of God in your life. May you know the, the leading of the Spirit. Would you know the empowering of the Spirit? Would you know His life making everything that comes against you non-effective? Would you know Christ inside like never before? Oh, just give me just 30 seconds. Lift your hands. If you pray in the Holy Spirit, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. If you don't, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Come on. He's the one that's in you. Praying in the Spirit is just letting the one that lives in you speak. That's all it is. No big deal. It's awesome. No one needs to squeeze your head. You just need to let it out. Holy Spirit, let him speak. Come on, we're a Pentecostal church, right? We're not, we're not embarrassed of this stuff. Holy Spirit, come on, just begin to worship him right now. Just begin to worship him like he's here. How do you think revivals break out when nobody wants to go home and the meeting carries on for six weeks? It's moments like this where suddenly people want God more than any other thing, more than any other, more than any other. He becomes the pearl of great worth where everything else is salable. Come on, just begin to worship Him.